On the afternoon of April 30th, 1977, in an environment controlled by fear, violence, killings, censorship and propaganda aimed at reinforcing women's traditional roles, 14 women decided to use their identity as mothers to confront the dictatorship that had stolen their sons. Estela's story embodies the fight for justice of the mothers and grandmothers of the Plaza de Mayo. In August 1978, her daughter's body was handed to her, shot through the stomach with a smashed face. Estela only later found out that while in detention, her daughter had given birth to a boy, Guido, only for him to be taken away from her by the regime five hours after giving birth. Estela knew Guido was still alive, and she had to meet him. She had to find him somehow. She is today the president of the Grandmothers of the Plaza de Mayo, a group aimed at finding the children and grandchildren illegally taken away during the dictatorship. Las Madres de la Plaza de Mayo are an internationally renowned group of activists, but this is a podcast about the mode of feminist activism and feminist struggles which emerge around and throughout them and the fight against colonial and religious influences in Argentina. Some argue that the 1976 coup silenced women and crushed the feminist movement in Argentina, but the mothers of the Plaza de Mayo gave women even greater political awareness. This was the start of a powerful feminist movement. The mothers emphasized their Catholic identities when protesting, addressing their prayers to the embodiment of womanhood and motherhood, the Virgin Mary. But neither the police nor the Catholic Church offered assistance to the women crying for justice on the streets of Buenos Aires. With opposition from both the dictatorship and the strong church, these women's screams and prayers rose to fame by gaining international recognition in the 1980s. And after years of standing up for their rights, groups of women across the nation led, through the persistence of their fighting, to the legalization of abortion in Argentina. But how can female-led social movements lead to paramount change in a country with such a strong Catholic church, backed by politicians and the state, where women have, since colonialism, been exclusively associated to the domestic sphere? I am Emma Baker, this is Orders in Decay, and that's what you're about to find out in this episode. Argentina was colonized by Spain in the 16th century, which led to an integrated exercise of power by the church and the colonies, still present in today's society. One of the experts that I had the honor of interviewing for my podcast is Dr. Cora Fernandez Anderson. She's an assistant professor of politics at Mount Holyoke College in Massachusetts, and her research explores social mobilization as a possible path towards social change. Because colonization came also with the hand of the Catholic Church through both the Spanish and the Portuguese crown to this area, you know, and the church initially was giving like a, a large uh, powers, both in terms of political power, because there was definitely not separation of church and state at that time and economic power. And even though, you know, then independence comes like in the 19th century, all that, you know, is not eliminated. However, the focus in today's podcast lies in the impact of the Catholic Church, through colonialism, on the position of women in society. Dr. Silvana Tapia Tapia is a professor of social legal studies at the University of Asuay in Ecuador. Her research relates to the limitations of criminal law and criminal justice to provide protection in the domain of violence against women. In today's podcast, she aims to reconcile different expert opinions on gender norms, pre-colonization, and the extent to which they were altered by colonial rule. 
Yeah, so I think that this depends really on, on what authors and theorists you are looking at. For instance, in uh, Latin American decolonial feminisms, uh, if you look at Maria Lugones' work from the perspective of philosophy, she does uh, work a framework whereby there is no patriarchy before the colonization of the Americas. Other, other authors that have looked into a little bit more into archaeological evidence would say that you can even find the idea of a third gender in Andean cosmology. But you also have um, scholars who are more in the anthropology field, such as Rita Segato, who hasn't really found, you know, uh, anthropological evidence that there, was, there were not hierarchies based on gender before the colonization of the Americas. Although there are contradicting views on gender norms in pre-colonialism Argentine society, it is important to see and think about how much of an influence colonialism had that can still be visible in today's society as well. Argentina is a country that has for long been struggling with their own pandemic, the pandemic of femicides, which reached a 10-year high under COVID-19 lockdown. Given the gender norms that were brought by colonialism, my question is, could colonialism have influenced or at least played some role in the high numbers of violence against women in the country? Mm, I don't think that the aggressivity necessarily is colonial as a threat of human of male behavior. There is no way to say for sure that there was no physical, psychological abuse before colonization. But what I think is colonial for sure, and there is evidence of that, is the idea that women deserve to be protected as members of the family. Gender norms that were brought by colonialism in Argentina can be encapsulated into two words, marionismo and machismo. Marionismo can be traced back to the principles of the Catholic Church, and it links women to the figure of the Virgin Mary, presupposing feminine virtues such as submissiveness, purity, and devotion to children. Machismo, on the other hand, suggests first and foremost the supremacy of men over women. The start of women's empowerment took place in the 1970s. The women's movement, that was largely based in the U.S. but which brought about change worldwide, succeeded in pushing for gender equality in the workplace and at university. Education was key to the foundation of feminism, but there was still a constant backlash from the church, and since the church played such an important role in the country, women continued to be seen as restricted to the domestic sphere. There were more and more women entering into student life and into the artistic and intellectual world of the time. And this opportunity for women to attend university, which was unprecedented at that time, marked the real beginning of the feminist movement in Argentina. It had taken so long for an organized feminist campaign to appear in Argentina, as opposed to European countries such as France, or even in North America, because Apart from the strength and the influence of the Catholic Church, there was a lack of an educated middle class. So education is really key in changing this. However, while feminism was expanding its frontiers worldwide during the post-World War II era, feminists in Argentina became silent, constrained by military violence. The 1976 coup d'etat in Argentina was a right-wing coup that overthrew Isabel Perón as the president of Argentina. A military junta was installed to replace her, and this was the starting point of what is known as the Dirty War. 
Dictators saw themselves as absolute authorities and therefore expected all men and women to submit, epitomizing the notion of machismo. They claimed Western Christian identity and presented the dictatorship itself as a defender of tradition and family. The image of the mother was widely used in mass media in order to promote women's traditional roles and encourage an increase in birth rates. But also, it was to praise the nuclear family structure altogether. So it's hard to imagine how at this point, or at the point of colonialism, how any woman could ever affect change in a country where all she's valued for is her baby-making ability. Abortion as well is clearly the apogee of these traditional family values because it's a center point of conservative Catholic activism. Understandably enough, feminist philosophies were never welcomed by the military. Many of these feminist-leaning organizations raised public consciousness, which was in direct contradiction to the submissive behavior expected by citizens. At the same time, the repressive regime which terrorized and intimidated Argentine society created an atmosphere in which women's rights seemed to be irrelevant in the face of larger and more immediate problems. Nonetheless, Argentinian women have historically repeatedly stood up for their rights. And it's thanks to their committed stance that this politically unstable period in reality led to giving feminist movements greater political awareness. The two main ingredients for the rise of social movements are, on the one hand, a feeling of dissatisfaction, and on the other hand, this feeling coupled with an inability from the government to respond adequately. Las Madres de la Plaza de Mayo used their authority as mothers to speak out in public. They shifted their essential maternal identities into collective political subjects. The disappearance of their sons lit a fire in these mothers, who up until this point had accepted their subordinate position in society. They used their history of silence to their advantage in their protesting. They walked through the streets, holding up pictures of their children, wearing white handkerchiefs on their heads that were marked with the names of each one of their missing loved ones and the date when they disappeared. They begged for help by using their identity most valued by the dictatorship, their role as mothers. They portrayed themselves not only as the mothers of their children, but as the mothers of all those who had disappeared. They fought not only for themselves, but for all oppressed women. This was the first time a group of women took it upon themselves to effect change, to ask for justice. And, you know, maybe it was because they were just mothers or just women. Maybe it was because they seemed harmless and inexperienced. But the military was not acceptant of the political nature of Las Madres and therefore did not suppress the group. But it was actually by refusing to cross the group immediately that the regime enabled a seemingly non-political group to gain undeniable political force. Through their protesting, these mothers managed to challenge the traditional perceptions of maternity. They were no longer to be restricted to the domestic sphere. Despite the strength of this group, especially during the post-dictatorship years, the association of womanhood with motherhood remained strong. And as such, pregnancy termination and abortion counters this expectation. The demand for the separation of church and state has always been a rallying cry among feminists. And what played out to these women's advantage was the prominent role that the church played during the junta years. 
And the other thing is that like the church actually, while in other Latin American countries, like in Chile or Brazil was critical of those military dictatorships, the Argentinian Catholic Church chose to side with the military dictatorship. The cardinals, the bishops, the, you know, the, the, the hierarchy of that national Catholic Church decided to remain silent to the claims of some priests that were saying, okay, this is happening in this poor neighborhood that I'm working. The military are repressing and killing people. The church didn't, you know, report or denounce what was happening at the time. They remained silent and they were pretty much, you know, um, supporting with that silence what was happening. So in a way, um, after democracy comes back, when the church will continue with their preaching that abortion is a sin, people were saying, well, like, what is your moral authority, you know, to be discussing these issues when you didn't defend the life of so many innocent people? And so like that, there was a sense of delegitimization of the main authority which had in the first place placed women within the domestic sphere, which had silenced them and crushed their opinions. Gradually, built on this energy and hope of a new beginning post-dictatorship, activism became a new quotidian that shaped the lives of women involved in movements and transformed their experiences and perspectives about politics, gender relations, but most importantly, about themselves. The New Namenos movement, roughly meaning not one woman less, is a fourth-wave grassroots feminist movement founded in 2015 to fight against the ever-increasing rates of femicides in the country. As the years passed, the legalization of abortion was added to their agenda, and they turned out to be key players in the 2020 success alongside the campaign for legal, safe, and free abortion, which was launched in 2005 to provide a more organized approach to the fight for abortion. And they played a central role more recently in the organization of the protests and demonstrations for the abortion reform in Argentina. The New Namenos rose in a far from ideal political environment after a right-wing party came to power following three leftist governments. According to public surveys, Religiosity in Argentina increased between 2010 and 2017, undoubtedly from the feeling of pride that came with Argentinian Pope Francis being elected as the head of the Catholic Church in 2013. However, this ended up reinforcing the power of an institution that defended women's traditional roles. And so we ask ourselves, why was this group so much more successful than any other previous group? And how did it lead to the success of the abortion bill? How could a female-led group make such an important change in such a conservative and Catholic society? And New Namenos happens in 2015, and that really changes how, again, like feminism starts growing, you know, and you start seeing those, that perspective, those arguments, those framings more and more. What happens is that um, in the midst of, you know, this, this really growth of Niuna Menos and, and feminism overall, the campaign to legalize abortion starts linking the issue of abortion with that of femicide and the Niuna Menos. So basically they say without, and they start framing it directly, without safe and legal abortion, there is no Niuna Menos. The movement started as an entirely digital concept, and its rise in success can be credited to an initial tweet in 2015 by radio journalist Marcelo Ojeda, which read, Actresses, politicians, artists, businesswomen, social activists, women, everyone, aren't we going to raise our voices? 
They're killing us! A study conducted by the University of Buenos Aires concluded that 95% of participants had experienced some form of harassment or gender violence. So many of them saw this movement as an opportunity to create justice for their own circumstances. More and more women were dying because of femicides at the time, and it was reported that one woman was killed every 36 hours in an act of aggression. The anger was so high that even those who disagreed with the movement in itself weren't likely to make a public statement for fear of being perceived negatively by the general public. And this was a really strong component for the formation and success of the social movement. This insurgent consciousness united people to fight towards an unjust system. There was a collective identity that came with being part of the Nuna Menos. And this unitive atmosphere put an invisible pressure on everyone to go out and protest. They were newly self-identified feminists and had to fight for their new identity. This togetherness ended up growing stronger than both the church and politics. But it was also facilitated by the fact that over the past 20 years or so, a tradition of contention developed whereby protesting became an everyday normal in Argentina. So there's definitely at least one demonstration happening every day. There's a very strong repertoire of action that, okay, if you have a demand, take to the streets. It's one of the ways of understanding why we get to 2018 with like thousands and millions of women mostly in the streets asking for the abortion debate to happen that forces a center-right wing government to open up the congressional debate, even though the president says, you know, I'm in favor of defending life from the moment of conception, but I feel that the society needs to have this discussion. The Nuna Menos was able to leverage its built-in social movement base to capture the attention of policymakers as well. So by 2018, the movement had been able to create a really strong multi-party coalition in the lower chamber, which was one of the key of their partial success in 2018. They were particularly successful in getting support of many legislators and had those allies that worked side by side. The movement in the streets, the legislators lobbying to get more signatures and more positive votes. What many legislators from that time mentioned was that We were getting the energy from the women outside on the streets who were protesting, singing in large groups, to do our work inside, to work harder and harder, to get the most votes possible. The green tide was gradually engulfing Argentina. Demonstrators clad in green clothing, each one wearing the green headscarf that has been worn permanently by thousands of people across the country, demanding legal, safe and free abortion in Argentina. The Nuna Menos movement was successful in framing the issue of abortion as a question of social justice and health. This grassroots movement repeatedly focused on the suffering of poor women under conditions of abortion. How can you be pro-life and disregard the women dying every day due to unsafe abortions, performed in dark alleyways or in somebody's home? The Marea Verde is a feminist revolution in motion. It is intergenerational. There's an experience of transversality, a coming together of unions, social movements, human rights. There's a history behind it, dating decades, and standing there in the midst of a crowd of women yelling for their rights to be respected, all united, makes you think of how far Argentinian women have come since the dictatorships, or even more since colonialism. Nonetheless, in 2018, the movement did not succeed in legalizing abortion.
quite yet. What happened in 2018, yes, we lost in the Senate, but it's clear that we shifted people's opinions and like how abortion is perceived, you know? So abortion was really socially decriminalized. People are not perceiving it as a crime or defining it as a crime anymore. The Catholic Church was one of the main institutions that had required some change in order to ensure a more favorable environment for the legalization of abortion. After the social decriminalization of abortion in 2018, the church itself approached the state and said that they would phase out the budgetary contributions from the state. The questions around the abortion debate brought the church to the realization that it was no longer strategically convenient for them to be involved in every state decision. Additionally, the church's stance on abortion led to 3,700 people submitting apostasy requests in an act of protest during the months following the Senate's decision to keep the abortion ban in 2018. The last thing that was needed was finally a favorable political environment to ensure the success of the legalization of abortion. Citizens demand more and more that their representatives are transparent on their stance on certain crucial issues, which then allows them to decide whether to support them or not. So with the increase in public support for the abortion bill in 2018, the public actively wanted a politician who would fight for the bill to be passed. And that's what led to Alberto Fernandez winning the presidential election. You know, politicians were very attentive to, you know, when they see a movement of that dimension and they realize, well, now, you know, the, the balance of what is risky electorally or not has changed. And they really saw, you know, like a very strong, you know, constituents of feminists that they will be able to bring on board, you know, to the Alberto Fernandez campaign if he will support um, the legalization of abortion. Having a supportive president was key in the final stages of the campaign, when Fernandez played an important role in winning over reluctant senators' votes in the last few days. But also, the advantage of this was seen in the protesting methods during the COVID-19 pandemic. Unlike Gustave Le Bon's theory on the impulsiveness of crowds, the Nuna Menos movement did not behave like savages. They had to be wary of the restrictions, so they organized Zoom meetings, online workshops, and they were always active on social media. However, once the restrictions were eased, thanks to the president's support, their fighting on the streets was legitimized. The Niuna Menos was allowed, while being as careful as possible, to hold protests on the streets of Buenos Aires in the days before the big success. And in a matter of three weeks, they got the legalization of abortion. In the early hours of December 30th, a sea of green outside of Argentina's Congress in Buenos Aires fixed their eyes on the nine giant screens broadcasting the parliamentary session taking place inside. The crowd had been there all night with the Senate, occupying street over street over street surrounding the Congress building, with tents, screens, music, assemblies, artistic performances, soccer matches, public speakers, and so much more. Ni Una Menos united everyone since 2015, and the sight of women celebrating, dancing, and singing outside the Senate on December 30th, 2020 encapsulates their success perfectly.